Ahoy, and welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. Okay, so I haven't recorded in a while. I was sick. We had COVID. I also been dealing with some issues, so I have to have surgery on St. Patrick's Day, but it shouldn't affect me doing the podcast, hopefully. And uh, I know I've said this before, but I'm actually figuring out how to do video. And I hope my posting to YouTube now is just the podcast, just audio. So I'm hoping I can get video up on there for you guys. And I wanted to ask and you can message me whatever. But if anyone be interested in a live stream, then maybe I could do like Wednesday nights or Friday nights. So I think that would be a lot of fun. So anyways, we're going to get into the sequel to A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, the book Good Girl, Bad Blood by Holly Jackson. And we're going to be covering chapters 1 through 13, pages 1 through 132, part 1. It's not split up that way. I just split the book into thirds. Anyways, things to look forward to. A memorial service, a missing person, and a calamity party, and me actually being able to say calamity instead of a clam party. So the first thing we start with is a Fairview town map which I can post on my social media if anyone wants to see it. I haven't used it. I never use the maps and books, though, so that's not telling you much, you know? So anyways, so there's like an after and before to like bridge the gap between the two books. By the way, just like go listen to the first part because I can't... There's a, like a little summary I give you of last book, but like we're going to get into it. So Pip's listening to an audio recording that Elliot gave during the last book and she's like stuck replaying the part where he says it's such a tragedy what happened in the end and that Sal was such a lovely kid but considering the evidence I don't see how he couldn't have done it but we all know Elliot did it so so anyways Robbie walks in and Pip's parents walk out whatever they're taking cookies to the people that just moved into the Chen's house so this is Zach's old house and he lives like four doors down or something from Pip and Zach's like one of the guys that was part of that friend group in the last book that we like barely talked about. But anyways, his parents wanted to move because of all the trouble in town, but Zach still goes to school with Pip. So Ravi reminds Pip that they have this like dinner that they're going to at 730 and he's being really awkward about it. And he's all dressed up. It's like a Valentine's Day dinner. And Kara is convinced that he's going to ask Pip to be his girlfriend, but Pip's not sure because this is also Sal's birthday. Okay. Like we never talk about this again. And then they're just like one point in the book. Robbie refers to Pip as his girlfriend. So I guess it went well. So anyways, Pip just finished editing her sixth episode of her podcast and she uses audacity like me. I don't know. Like I felt like, oh my gosh, I actually understand what you're talking about because you're talking podcast language. So anyways, everyone signs release forms for their interviews, even Elliot from jail, except for Stanley, the trash can reporter and Max Hastings because he's a monster. So she just like fills in the blanks in her recordings in her log entries and she does them as monologues. So it's been six weeks since the school assembly. So that's like the end of the last book. And she said the media is not telling the story right. So she wants to do a podcast to tell like everything from her investigation and like the correct, I don't know, like what people said or whatever, because the media wants to make it like whatever they want to make it. They screwed it up once before, basically. So uh, (laughs) Pip still needs to do an intro, like my ahoy, welcome to the Jolly Reader. And she doesn't have a title. So she says some like generic ones like, the cold case of Andy Bell's story or whatever. And Robbie's like, no, you need more pizzazz. So he comes up with the title, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which obviously is the title of the last book. So yay. 
So the next part is Newsday. I guess it's just like their newspaper or whatever. I don't know. Internet news. So it's a good girl's guide to murder review. The latest true crime podcast ends with a chilling finale. So this is like someone else reviewing Pip's podcast. And it basically summarizes the last book. So I'm just going to go through like bullet points. Obviously, we've been over this. So Elliot had an inappropriate relationship with Andy. Andy wanted to escape the town, Fairview, because her dad was abusive. Andy and Elliot had an argument and she hit her head on his desk accidentally. But like, obviously, this is from like Elliot's point of view. And when he went back to check on her she had disappeared and he panicked so he decided like normal person sarcasm that make it look like sal killed andy and then make it look like sal committed suicide and then later on andy saw who he thought was andy walking and he like panicked so he held her hostage for five years and then pip figured out that becca which is andy's sister was sexually assaulted at a house party a calamity party and becca found out that her sister was involved in selling the drugs that were used in the sexual assault and they got in an argument and then andy fell to the floor and was unconscious and vomiting and the autopsy Apparently, they found Andy's body. I don't really remember that from the last book. But anyways, the autopsy discovered that Andy died from choking on her own vomit and not the head trauma. But that's like neither here nor there. Pip places blame on like openly in her podcast. Elliot, Max, Jason, Bell, that's the dad. Becca, Howard Bowers, that's the drug addict or drug dealer. And Andy herself. So Pip's podcast is very successful, but she then makes a statement at the end, which is on page 10, which I will read. I got it marked. So Pip says, I'm afraid my detective days are over and there will not be a second season of A-G-G-G-T-M. This case almost consumed me. I could only see that once I was on the other side. It became an unhealthy obsession, putting me and those around me in considerable danger. But I will finish this story recording updates on the trials and verdicts of all those involved. I promise I will be here until the very last word. Yeah, that doesn't last long. One month later, it's a Thursday. I actually have like a calendar. I kind of was trying to keep track of things. But anyways, chapter one. Yeah, we finally made it chapter one. What, we're like five minutes in? So (laughs) Pip's thinking about her dog, who we know died last episode. I don't want to talk about it. She talks about it. I don't want to talk about it. So anyways, Pip gets home. Her mom's annoyed. Because her little brother Josh got in trouble at school because apparently a pencil sharpener went missing and Josh interrogated his classmates and he formed a person of interest list and made four kids cry, which I'd be a proud parent. I don't know why that's such a bad thing. But anyways, the mom makes Pip go talk to him and Pip basically tells him that being a detective is not all it's cracked up to be and people end up getting hurt and you hurt people because you have to keep secrets. This is like so Stevie Bell, I can't handle it. But anyways, Pip says that Robbie is getting ready to come over and record an update and oh like an update of the trial okay well I get there but Pip says she wishes she could have been there but the mom won't let her skip school for the trial of Max Hastings because he's on trial I listed in the last one for like sexual assault and all that and apparently on Tuesday Pip was called as a witness so this is the Tuesday before the Thursday we're on now she was called as a witness and Max is pleading not guilty and her recording of the phone conversation at the very end of the last book of him admitting it is not like admitted into court, but she's also still hiding the hit and run situation and the changing of alibis. So like, I don't know. She's basically unhelpful. So Pip Mom mentions the memorial being tomorrow. And I said, I believe it's for Sal and Andy. It definitely is. But they don't like say that at the time. And then 
Ravi knocks on the door. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, The Trial, Max Hastings, Update 3. So I'm just going to like bullet point this. So she tells listeners to go back and listen to previous updates. I wish I could. They are not included. I'm interested. So anyways, I tell you guys that all the time. (laughs) So Ravi tells us what happened at the trial that day. Nat was called. So Nat De Silva. I like, do I need to re-explain who these characters are? She was the one that Andy like harassed and she was also drugged at a party. Anyways, she's called to the court because in February of 2014, she was allegedly drugged and sexually assaulted by Max at a calamity party. But due to ridiculous statute of limits, don't get me started, he can't be charged for that. So they're charging him with kidnapping because like the definition of kidnapping is restraining someone with intent to hurt or sexually abuse, which he obviously did because he's a monster. So they established a timeline. She says her memories are hazy. Obviously, she was drugged. And they have an expert witness that says it's common with Rufy's, like, for her to have that reaction. And the prosecutor also repeats facts about Becca Bell because she... Okay, so Becca pled guilty, even though she could have gotten off with no time because she was a minor when Andy died. And I was, like, kind of sort of accidental. Like, Becca didn't necessarily cause the death. She just didn't save her sister. But anyways... Becca accepted a four-year sentence, which is suspended after 18 months, followed by two years of probation, but she testified against Max because she also obviously was sexually assaulted at a party. So, Nat says she only had one or two drinks, alcoholic drinks, and the person that allegedly gave her her, the drink was Max. Pip asked Ravi what Max was acting like at the trial, and Max is being like, calm and just like staring down the witnesses and he's apparently wearing like they make like a big deal about this but he's wearing like these fake glasses like they're not prescription and ravi knows this because his mom is uh like works at the eye doctor place like i'm just saying like i believe you that they're not fake you don't have to explain me why but anyways he has long hair and it's unkempt to try to convince the jury that he's a calm innocent guy aren't they all right so anyways there's also a courtroom sketch in the book which i can put on social media max's lawyer epps was really invasive he's like victim blaming Nat, asking her if she was wearing provocative clothes or if she had a crush on max which also none of that would matter even if she was because you can't just rape people whenever you feel like it like you can't drug and rape people period so anyways ugh. the lawyer also called nat out for not going to police the next day She said she didn't go because she wasn't exactly sure what happened. Also, like, I don't know if her brother was a police officer at the time. He must have been. But, like, I wouldn't want to go and be like, man, then my brother find this out. That would be kind of awkward and weird. So, anyways, the lawyer says, and how does she know she didn't consent? Okay, well, it doesn't even matter if she consented because you can't consent when you're under the influence of drugs and alcohol. But, anyways, so Nat says that Max made a comment after like, I don't know how far after, but like after the party and he, and he was talking about having a good time with her, like implying that they did something. So they basically like Pip and Ravi on the podcast conclude that Max has a really aggressive lawyer because he comes from money, but Pip doesn't believe this strategy will work and the jury will see the truth. Like fingers crossed. I don't know yet. But anyways, chapter two. So this, I don't know. This is kind of weird, but Pip's talking to Cara on the phone and they talk about the trial and how Pip is officially a meme, which like <laughs> hashtag goals and <laughs> how she 
has gotten emails about sponsorships, also hashtag goals, but doesn't know if she wants to make money off the podcast because it's like a tragedy. Obviously, I understand that. So Cara asks if it'd be weird for Robbie and his parents if her and Naomi go to the memorial because obviously their dad killed Sal. But Pip says like, no, they know the girls are not responsible. It's like what their dad did, blah, blah, blah. And Naomi was Sal's best friend. So meh. It's noted that Kara visits her dad every two weeks in jail, but she hasn't forgiven him. But like, it's still her dad. It's complicated, whatever. And Naomi doesn't visit him at all and says she never will. I agree. He can burn. So apparently, Kara's grandparents moved in with them temporarily because like their mom died, obviously. So they have no parental anything. So Kara's going to finish school. And then in the summer, they're going to move back to the grandparents' house in New Jersey. I don't know. It's like, Pip's losing her best friend, whatever, whatever. So the reason for the phone call is Kara hasn't been sleeping well. So they have this thing where like Pip watches movies over the phone and they like coordinate when to start the movie and then it helps her fall asleep. I don't know. They talk about it a lot. So I'm mentioning it. Friday, chapter three. Ravi meets up with Pip so they can go to the memorial. They talk about the trial while they're walking over there. Okay. So a girl that was in the same dorm as Max, I guess in college, I'm assuming, testified and she had called 911 after he attacked her, but uh, no DNA was lifted from the rape kit, which I don't really know like exactly. I don't know a lot about that. So I don't know if it's just like sometimes it just doesn't take or whatever. But anyways, Ravi wants to be a defense lawyer, but now he's like, oh my gosh, do I want to? Because Epps is gross. That's um, Max's lawyer. So they get to the memorial thing and Naomi jamie so this is connor's older brother he's important (laughs) and nat are all there because they all went to school together and pip awkwardly apologizes to nat she just kind of blows pip off and she's like walks away she's like i don't want to hear it you accuse me of murder like you're trash so then pip spots Kara and like her group of friends so lauren and aunt and zach so lauren and aunt are like officially together together they're like making out this whole time they're not making out but they like can't pay attention to anyone else because they're like so infatuated with each other like whatever big who cares talk about it a lot though ravi gives Kara a big hug like letting her know it's okay that she's there and then lauren points out jason and don bell oh here's some tea y'all okay so jason and don as if we remember in the last book, they separated. So Andy's parents, they're Andy's parents, obviously. They're back together because Jason's second wife is divorcing him. And Jason and Don are now living in the house that Becca basically let Andy die in. Like, it's super weird. Why? So I think Lauren says this, that it's like really weird. And Kara basically like shuts her up and says like, people deal with things like the way they have to deal with it because she's obviously still living in the same house that her dad raised her in that he was a psychopath whatever you know so then okay they never talk about these people again but charlie and flora come up they're the new neighbors that just moved into zach's house and flora's also a teacher at josh's school i don't know like i don't know if they're going to become relevant but here they are so he's talking to them zach is because he used to live in their house whatever so during this pip turns and hears connor and jamie the brothers talking in hushed tones then back in the conversation with zach he's joking about the house being haunted like whatever i really do feel like my house is being haunted because um my mom came to visit and then my kitchen light just kept going off all the time every time we talked about my dad so i'm just saying i know bobcat is with me (laughs) 
So there's like a stage for the memorial service and there's portraits of Sal and Andy and it's like the six year anniversary of their death. And Pip sees Stanley, the trash can reporter, and she's kind of like, why the heck ski is he here? But Robbie's like, go easy on him because he wrote a handwritten apology letter to him and his parents and posted in the newspaper. They felt bad about how he described Sal throughout the whole situation. I don't know if he um, apologized for being a racist POS, but that's neither here nor there. And Pip's still salty, as am I, because I refer to him as a trash can throughout the rest of this. So anyways, the memorial starts at 731. That's how detailed we are. Miss Morgan, she is now, she was like Pip's, um, like whatever, person for her project last year. But now she's the principal because the principal was fired because of what Mr. Ward was doing under this other principal's watch with underage students, et cetera, et cetera. Which, how is this the principal's fault? But anyways... Chloe and Emma, if you remember from the last book, those are Andy's friends. They speak at the memorial. And while they're speaking, someone bumps into Pip and it's Jamie. So this is Connor's brother. He mutters sorry, but he seems distracted. Then Robbie's dad gets on stage and talks about Sal. It's like, I don't know. It's really cute. Kind of hard to read, though. So anyways, he ends up talking about Sal's favorite movie being Babe, like with the pig. And one of his favorite songs in the movie, they like play and everyone's singing and crying. I don't even know what song that is. I have not seen Babe in like 20 years. But anyways, Ravi and his family release lanterns and Andy's parents release a lantern for Andy. And that's how the chapter ends. Like everyone looking up at the lanterns. Saturday, chapter four. Okay, it's about to get like going now. So Pip's taking a nap on the couch because she was up late because Kara sent her this incoherent text. They have it in the book, but like I couldn't even read it to you. At midnight the night before, she was at a calamity party and she got super wasted. And Pip's annoyed because Lauren and Aunt were like at this party, but they didn't do anything like they should have been looking out for Kara. And then Pip's like asking if Kara poured her own drinks and things like that. There's like nothing pointing towards Kara being drugged at the party and also like everything with her dad you think she probably is drinking pretty heavily but like I don't know if that's going to come back later just like mentioning they don't specifically say that she thinks like her drinks were spiked or anything so then Pip wakes up from her cat nap and she has like missed texts from Connor but before she can check or like respond or like see what he's saying Connor's at her door so she asks him what's wrong because he ran all the way from his house to her house when she didn't answer her phone I don't even know how far away he lives but anyways Connor tells her that his brother is missing dun 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 so that's Jamie chapter five so Connor says he last saw Jamie at the memorial and then he never came home that night and his mom and him like Connor's mom looked Every for him called hospitals, fi- tried to fire a police report, blah, blah, blah. But, blah, 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 blah. but the officer who took the report conveniently was Daniel Da Silva. That's Nat's brother, who was like a super problematic last book. And Jamie is 24 years old and he has a history of leaving home without communicating. So the police aren't going to do anything. Shocker. So the first time he disappeared was when he dropped out of college and he got in a fight with his dad over it, which same. I didn't disappear, but I definitely dropped out of college and then... I got in a fight with my dad about it. Anyways, so he stayed with his friends at his friend's house for a few weeks, whatever. And then two years ago, he went out like, I don't know, partying or whatever in New York and lost his phone and couldn't get home and stayed on someone's couch for a few days and just like never told his parents. I don't know. Definitely never experienced that. 
But Connor says this time feels different. I don't know why it just does. And Connor thinks that Jamie has been acting strange for the past few weeks and he's been jumpy and distant and short tempered. And Connor asked Pip since she like solved everything last year with like the Andy and Sal thing and has a podcast with like thousands of followers. Cools. Um, I do appreciate all my followers, though. I love you all. Anyways, he asked if she could spread the word that Jamie is missing. So Pip's like, no, I can't do that. It's too much to ask because I almost lost everything last year over it. She's like super dramatic. I'm like, girl, help your friend. Like, just be like, hey, PSA, this guy's missing. If you see him, like, help. So Connor is like begging her. Can you just like at least put this on like a milk carton for me or something? (laughs) Like, whatever. They don't do that anymore. But you know what I mean? So Pip's like, no, but I will help. I'll go talk to Detective Hawkins, who's like the main detective, I guess, that, I don't know, helped them last book, and tell him why you're worried about Jamie and see if the police can actually investigate. And Connor's like, okay, but like, you could just like put it on your podcast and it wouldn't be you getting involved, but okay. So anyways, Pip gives a ride home before she goes over to talk to the detective. Chapter six, Pip goes to the police station. So side note, Daniel DeSilva's there with his female partner, which I think they give her a name. She's kind of not important. Anyways, he gives Pip like the cold shoulder and he's got like other things to do. So he leaves police station to go work on something. So she's talking to the secretary or whatever. And she's like, I got to talk to Detective Hawkins like time now. He says he'll see Pip, but he's like, you have two minutes because I got other important things going on. Like I'm police chief. So Pip asks him to look into Jamie's missing person case. And he basically tells her like, We have as many as 12 missing persons report every single day and we have to prioritize. Okay, so first of all, I have a question about this. 12 missing persons, I'm assuming he only like navigates this town or this county or whatever, but this town is small enough that that, like everyone walks everywhere all the time and everyone's everyone's next door neighbor, but now we have 12 missing persons all the time. I like explain that. How big is this town? And everyone knows everyone, but also everyone knows no one. Okay, I digress. So anyways... A detective Hawkins or whatever, he tells Pip that Jamie's an adult and he has the legal right to disappear, which like this is real life. Like people will tell you that it's annoying. Adults also have the ability to be kidnapped, but that's just me. So Detective Hawking says that he has a real high risk case to deal with. And it's an eight year old who was abducted out of her yard, which I don't know if that'll come back. But like, whose eight year old is this? So anyways, oh, something just hit me. I will bring it up at the end because we're not there yet. But keep that eight-year-old in mind so anyways pip's like pleading like don't make me do this again and don't make me do your job you guys don't even pay me and he's like tough luck hands are tied i can't do anything goodbye and pip calls ravi and she's like what should i do and he's like i can't make the decision for you but like you know what's right and i support you so she like picks up the phone and she calls connor and she's like sure i'll help and i'm like why did it take three chapters for us to get to that but okay chapter seven So she gets to Connor's house with all her podcast stuff and she hasn't told her parents she's doing this yet because they'll be worried and she's like, they're like, you get too obsessed and our dog died and your brother's struggling. So don't. (laughs) So Pip gives Connor and Joanne, that's the mom. Oh, did I skip this? Okay, sorry. Connor's mom, Joanne, is on board with like all this. She's like really worried about Jamie. But his dad is not on board with this and he's out grocery shopping. So Connor... Oh, also, side note, Connor has a sister. Her name is Zoe. She's in college. She's not coming back for this because she's got a bigger fish to fry. She probably has a final or something. So anyways, Pip gives Connor and Joanne, the mom, the disclaimer that they have to be honest and like bad things might happen and we might learn bad things about Jamie or their family or whatever. And they're like, I don't care. I accept. Let's do it. And the dad 
Arthur comes home and he's fussy is what my notes say, but he's like, I don't know. Pip describes him as the scariest of her friend's dad, but like Mr. Ward was the least scary of her friend's dad. And like he turned out to be a serial killer. I don't know. Serial killer technically, but might as well be right. So anyways, the dad ends up going to the other room. Like he doesn't stop them from doing it, but he's like, I don't really want to be any part of this. So Pip's going to interview Joanne, the mom first, and then she sends Connor to the other room because witnesses, you don't want them together, blah, blah, blah. We know. So Pip's like, this is past the point of no return. And she hits record. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder season two interview with Joanne Reynolds. Okay. So the interview with the mom, she talks about her children. So Jamie just celebrated his 24th birthday. He lives at home. He works for Pip's mom part-time as a receptionist at the real estate agency. Jamie dropped out of college, which I mentioned before, and has been kind of lost ever since. This is all according to the mom. And the dad gets frustrated with him about it, obviously, like most dads would. Mine did. (laughs) So um, the mom says that Jamie has a problem with committing to things, and he's very sensitive. And he has one friend from college and internet friends mostly, but his closest friend is Nat. So Jamie and Nat have a lot in common because they both have issues in college. Like, I th- I don't know. Oh, you, she punched that girl. I forgot about that. So anyways, and they both still live in Fairview. And Nat was friends with Sal and Jamie was friends with Andy. Like, but he's not a monster. He's friends with her because they were both in the place together. So they were like at rehearsal, spent a lot of time together. Anyways, Joanne says that Nat is probably Jamie's only real friend, but... She thinks that Jamie sees Nat differently than she sees him. So, like, basically, Jamie has a crush on her and Nat is not interested. So, friend zone. A couple months ago, Nat started seeing a new boyfriend. We'll get to that. And Jamie was devastated. And he never mentioned the boyfriend's name. I have it written down. I Nope, I don't have it written down. <laughs> oh, Luke. I think it's Luke. Anyways, this was in early March and they stopped having contact for a few weeks. This would be Jamie and Nat. And Joanne also says that Jamie wasn't quite himself and he was staying up late, oversleeping, missing work, snapping at his brother. And he told his mom that he felt worthless, which is really bummer. And Pip asks what we're all thinking, like, could he have been a possibly suicidal? But Joanne says, no, he wouldn't do that to me and his brother. But like, I kind of, I don't know. I have like mixed feelings about that because anyone at any time, like watch out for your friends, love them. Never know. That's all I'm saying. So Anyways, the day of the memorial, everyone went to work in the morning, like the mom and I'm assuming Connor went to school. I don't know. Anyways, the mom and the dad went to work and Jamie went to work and then they all came home except for the mom went to the grocery store or something before the memorial. But she describes what Jamie was wearing that evening. I can like put that on social media. It's like kind of not important. It's just like how they recognize like when other people say, oh, I think I saw Jamie. They describe the outfit. So Pip tells the mom that Jamie bumped into her at the ceremony. So at this point, Pip is the last person who has seen him. And then after the memorial, I said ceremony, whatever, memorial. So Joanne and Arthur, that's the mom and dad, that's Connor's mom and dad, went out to dinner with friends after the memorial. And then Joanne, some people were like drinking or whatever. So she drove some of her friends home and then Arthur walked home. So they left the restaurant or whatever just before 11 and the mom got home at 12.15 and Jamie wasn't there. So she texted Jamie at 12.36, but it was never delivered because you know how you can like see on your phone if texts are sent or whatever. And she thinks it never went through, which is like obviously not a good sign. 
a good girl's guide to murder season two interview with connor reynolds so this is obviously her friend connor and jamie's brother so pip asked how jamie had been acting differently or like strangely or whatever leading up to this and connor said his mood was erratic and in march he was miserable and would barely talk to anyone so we're like thinking that has to do with nat getting the new boyfriend or whatever connor says jamie was like depressed or whatever for a couple weeks and then suddenly he was okay again and he was like on his phone all the time typing to someone and for like a week and a half he was good and then he switched back to being like sad or irritated or whatever so then this is really weird but like jamie's dad was like we're all going to a movie and jamie's like i don't want to go and the dad's like you're going he makes him go and jamie was like all upset about that because he didn't want to go to the movie i don't know but that happened so connor like didn't know why he'd be upset And his brother usually would tell him everything, but he didn't in this case, I guess. Then things kind of went back to normal, but Jamie was still on his phone or whatever. And then, okay, so like joking around as brothers would one day a few weeks ago, Connor like grabbed Jamie's phone and was like, I'm going to look, even though he really wasn't going to look. He was just like joking around or whatever. Jamie like pushes him up against the wall and's like, drop the phone or whatever. And then afterwards he like apologizes. But Connor's like, it was really weird. Like my brother would never act that way. And then Connor also says he knows his brother was sneaking out once the mom and dad went to bed and Jamie snuck out the night of his birthday around midnight and came back at two. And then Connor's like, it's not normal for Jamie to sneak out and like be angry because he's usually really easygoing. And then they talk about like the day of the memorial and Connor's like, Jamie's phone was almost fully charged when we left the memorial because he like shows him. But like Connor knows that Jamie's phone is fully charged because... He like looks at it in the car. I don't know, whatever. And so the text not being delivered is not because his phone died. Like either his phone's off or destroyed or whatever, whatever. So Connor says there's something else the mom doesn't know about. So Jamie and the mom are really close. Like he's described as a mama's boy, basically. But Jamie and the dad have like a tricky relationship. They have some issues. So Jamie said to Connor that he thinks the dad hates him and is constantly disappointed in him. And there's like nothing pointing me away from saying that's not true. But anyways, the day of the memorial, when the mom was at the supermarket, Connor was eavesdropping on this argument that the dad and Jamie had. So the dad was saying that Jamie needs to like sort out his life and his parents aren't a bake for him because like apparently the dad wants him to pay rent for living there. But the mom's like, "Uh, no, he's our child. He can live here for free. So Connor says that the dad was like, you're a waste of space. And Jamie was like, I know. Which that like, that really makes me sad. Like, I don't know. That's really depressing. So anyways, at the memorial, Jamie was talking to Connor. If we remember, Zach was talking to the people that moved in his house. And then Pip saw Connor and Jamie like kind of whispering to each other. And Connor says that Jamie was apologizing for the fight with dad because he knows that Connor hates when they argue. He also told Connor that he was going to Nat's house for a bit after the memorial and he'd be home that night and he's like, see you later or whatever. And Connor's like, I don't think Jamie would just like lie straight to my face. Like, why would he go out of his way and say, hey, I'm going to be back tonight knowing he wouldn't be. And then Connor and Zach didn't want to go to the calamity party. So they went to Zach's house to play Fortnite instead, which apparently he's like embarrassed about and doesn't want on the podcast. What's wrong with Fortnite? I don't know. Don't be embarrassed. So anyways, Zach dropped Connor off at home at 1130. Connor went straight to bed and didn't even think about like Jamie not being there because he probably was like, oh, he'll come home later or whatever. And he didn't. Chapter eight. So 
Pip asked for recent photos of Jamie from like the mom and she's like letting Pip scroll through birthday photos from like Jamie's birthday party and he's all happy or whatever. And then you can see his face change when the dad gives him a Fitbit for his birthday. And like in the interview, the mom mentions that Jamie's insecure about his weight. But then I think like on the missing person flyers, it says he's like 180. So I don't uh, I don't know. Maybe the dad's just a rude dude. So Pip asks if she can go through Jamie's room, which is like really awkward, but she does. And they're like, it's a little messy. It's a lot messy. It's a lot messy. So anyways, she finds his laptop and they're like trying to guess the password, which they don't guess it. They still haven't guessed it. Like by the time I'm to the part of the book I'm at. But anyways, then Pip looks through his desk and doesn't really find anything. And then she looks through his trash can and she finds a crumpled piece of paper that says Hillary F. Wiseman left 11. I can post a picture of that too because they have like, like it looks like the little sheet of paper. So anyways, Connor and his mom don't recognize the name and Pip gives it a quick Google and she only finds a deceased 84 year old with that name that lives in Fairview and whatever. So like obviously it's not her. So in the middle of all this, Cara texts Pip about watching Netflix and Pip feels guilty but apologizes for not being able to watch that night and help her fall asleep or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. So anyways, Connor looks through the pockets of his brother's clothes and finds nothing. I mean, he finds like pennies or whatever, nothing important. Then Pip looks in the bottom drawer of his bedside table and she finds a watch that has delicate pink leather straps and a rose gold case, which obviously isn't Jamie's. And they don't think it's for Nat because Nat definitely would not wear a uh, pink watch. That's like not a thing. And I said, my guess is like, maybe it was Andy's watch. Cause she seems like someone that'd be wearing like pink rose gold things. Pip tells the mom to continue to try to get the password for the computer. Like I said, that does not happen this episode. And then Pip is going to make an announcement on her podcast, get everything going and she goes home. So a uh, good girl's guide to murder season two episode one intro that's like what the name of the title is so pip basically announces that she's going to take the case and she says she records this as she records this jamie has been missing 27 hours and she hopes he just ran away like the police think but there's no room for hope so welcome to season two boom sunday two days missing case notes number one initial thoughts so this is just like pip's private note-taking. Jamie has mood changes and is sneaking out. He has issues with his dad, a pattern of arguing with the dad, running away without contact for a few days. Connor and Joanne don't believe he would hurt himself or that he ran off. Jamie has an undelivered text from the mom at 12.36 a.m., so his phone has not been on since because it never went through as delivered. She, like, keeps checking it. After the memorial, Arthur, that's the dad, walked home alone and got to the house around 11.15. Joanne drove home and got there at 12.15 and Connor was dropped off around midnight. And then she has a to-do list on page 92, which I can read. I mean, it's not that interesting, but I'm just trying to like not miss anything. To-do list. Announce second season on website slash social media. Make missing posters. Get a... What? Oh, get a notice printed in Monday's Fairview Mail. That's the newspaper interview with nat da silva research hillary f wiseman record description of jamie's bedroom search and have the conversation with mom and dad she's not telling them that she's like a part of the investigation or whatever the missing persons poster which obviously i can post a picture of that it describes jamie what he was wearing it states that he was last seen friday april 24th at 8 p.m 
Chapter 9. Pip meets Ravi and Connor and Kara to put up missing posters. Missing person posters. <laughs> so hard to say. Anyways, Ravi accidentally says, we'll find Sal. I mean, Jamie. But like, and this is a part two. He also refers to like Pip as his girlfriend. Whatever. Whatever. Just filler. So the other three go to put posters. So this would be Connor, Ravi, and Kara. Well, Pip goes to the Fairview mail office and she talks to Stanley, the trash can. He apparently wrote her apology to apology letter and he apologized for Becca taking Pip's phone number out of his phone, which he obviously didn't know that was happening at the time. But like Pip is skeptical about how sincere he is because he is a trash monster. So Pip explains that Jamie's missing and she wants him to put a picture in the newspaper. And he asks, he's like, is the police involved? Like what's going on with this? And she explains like why the police won't interfere or whatever and he agrees like kind of reluctantly to put the missing poster in the newspaper but like i think he also feels like he owes pip a favor chapter 10 okay so this is interesting pip goes to nat's new boyfriend's house to talk to her she finds out where he lives because the mom's like nat's probably over there whatever who cares so he has a bmw and a lot of tattoos so we're just gonna judge he has a neck tattoo and all sorts of nonsense just just judge because tattoos are bad. <laughs> Sarcasm. So like this boyfriend answers the door and Pip claims to be Nat's friend and he lets her in so they can talk or whatever. And like side note, because this is just like mentioned throughout, there's a stack of cash and brown paper bags. So we can make our own conclusions about that. But Pip says that she says to Nat, she's like, this isn't about the trial. I just want to like talk to you about something else. And Luke, that's the boyfriend. He's like, what trial? I thought this town was small and I thought this trial was a big deal. So how does this guy not know about this? But anyways, Nat just dis- dismisses it. She's like, it's nothing or whatever. She was freaking a witness in this trial. Like what? Ugh. So anyways, Pip brings up Jamie being missing. And Pip also says the police aren't doing anything. And <laughs> Nat's like, my brother, you mean, is not doing anything because he's a police officer, right? And Pip's like, uh, <laughs> kind of. So Pip explains that she's doing a podcast to try to help. And Nat's like, well, that's very opportunistic of you or whatever, which I agree, like kind of. Mm. Nat speaks the truth a little bit. So anyways, Nat says that Jamie was supposed to come over after the memorial, but he never showed up. He never texted to say he wasn't coming and she tried calling him, but he didn't answer. So she does say she saw him at the memorial, which we know because Pip saw them together or whatever, and noticed that he was staring into the crowd and asked him what was up. He's like, oh, I just saw someone or whatever. And he walks over to go talk to this someone. And that's when he bumped into Pip. But Nat doesn't know who this person is. And she's like, well, if it was someone I knew, he would have been like, I'm going to go talk to Jeremy or whatever. Like he would say a name. So Pip turns her attention to Luke and she's like, were you at the memorial? And he's like, no, I didn't even know Andy and Sal. How big is this town? Who is this guy? So anyways, he's like, I didn't leave the house all Friday. And Nat kind of like shoots him a look, but like, I think he sells drugs just by like the things in the book. And that's so he was probably out selling drug on, drugs on Friday or whatever. I don't think he's like involved with the Jamie missing thing, if we're being honest. So Pip asked if Jamie was acting weird. She asked Nat that. And Nat's like, no, I hadn't heard from him lately. And Pip's like, no late night calls or texts because Connor was saying that he was obviously sneaking out and on his phone a lot or whatever. And Nat's like, well, no and then she like kind of like dot 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 
pauses and then she gets mad she's like are you interrogating me again like leave me alone i'm not a murderer and she's like get out of my house or whatever luke's house whatever so leak leak luke tells pip to leave and like leave them out of like whatever she's up to so she leaves their apartment she looks at her phone and stanley had sent her pictures from the memorial because she had asked him for it previously and there's also like this lady on her street that sent pictures. She's like, I don't remember seeing Jamie at the memorial, but I have like photos of him or whatever. So we'll get there. Case notes two. Pip's looking through the photos and she finds Jamie's. This is at the memorial. He's looking off in the distance and he looks worried or concerned. And then paired with what Nat told her previously he was looking for someone in the crowd so other observations the late night phone calls and texting was not with nat unless she's hiding it from her boyfriend obviously and pip suspects that luke was lying about not leaving friday which i already brought up that i think he's a drug dealer maybe that's mean of me to assume but that's where i'm at chapter 11 so pip's at a cafe and (laughs) i don't know why i said it like that like it's all fancy but anyways she's getting more photos from the memorial like, because she put it out on the podcast, but she's also getting trolls, like, people like, I killed him, or, like, who's gonna look for you when you go missing, Pip? Because I guess people, like, kind of hate her from, like, the first season of the podcast. I don't know. So, anyways, Car walks in, and she's like, even though I was super, super drunk at the Calamity party, I think I saw Jamie there. So, they text aunt and lauren because they were at the party too and they're like did you see him and they're like no we weren't there very long we didn't see him we only saw each other's eyes whatever they're in love who cares so then pip asked for stephen thomas's number so this is the he his house is where the calamity party was but if you also remember the really awkward scene where he pip's trying to ask for drugs and he's trying to like kiss her it's that guy like in my notes it literally says stephen drunk kisser calamity king that's how i labeled him okay so anyways pip calls steven and asks if he's seen the missing persons posters and he's like yeah blah 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 and then she asks if he saw jamie at the party or heard anyone else that did see jamie or whatever and he's like oh yeah i think i might have seen him because it was like an older guy that i didn't recognize at the party i thought it was kind of weird and pip sends him a photo to like confirm like is this who you saw and he's like yeah or whatever and she's like well what was he doing and steven's like well he wasn't talking to anyone and he wasn't drinking he was just kind of standing there which is like kind of creepy if you think about it so then steven's like oh um my mom didn't know about this party so like don't put it on the podcast and pip's like no i won't and then she's like this guy's trash i'm totally gonna put it on the podcast (laughs) she says that to cara so anyways um steven also says that the party was shut down by conveniently officer da silva because uh, and then he assumes that a neighbor called in a noise complaint but i have another theory so then after this conversation pip wants to find photo evidence that jamie was at this party so she messages everyone in a facebook group for her grade which that sounds like a nightmare Facebook was like a thing when I was in high school. I definitely was not in a group with every single person in my grade. But anyways, she asked them to send pictures for the party. There's like the message that she sends out. I can post that. It describes Jamie. Whatever. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder Season 2. Phone interview with George Thorne. So George is like uh, just like someone from her school that's like friends with them, whatever. He's a reliable source because he wasn't drinking at the party because he had a soccer game coming up, but he also did light up a cigarette, which uh, not good for your lungs and not good for a soccer game. So you might as well just have that drink, but that's just my personal opinion. Anyways, he when he was inside the party, he saw Jamie not talking to anyone. So this like goes along with whatever the calamity king said and 
Then, okay, so George went outside to light up his cigarette because he cares about his body or whatever. And he heard Jamie talking on the phone and Jamie's like pacing on the sidewalk outside and he sounds aggravated or maybe scared. And he says, like, Jamie's saying this over the phone. I can't do that. I know I said I'd do anything, but basically I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. What is that? We don't know. So anyways, Jamie also says, well, I could call the police. And then he mentions something about a child. But that's like super unclear. Like George does not have any information. But now that I think about this is missing eight year old, that would be a child. So like, let's just keep that in mind that maybe that's related or maybe it's totally unrelated. It was just like something I had to read through to get to the point. So anyways, Jamie must have suspected that George was like eavesdropping on him. And he ended up like walking away off towards Main Street at 1032. So she's just getting like a timeline together. Chapter 12. So Ravi and Pip are going through photos of the party. This is so drawn out. I'm just going to like cut to the chase. But Pip and Ravi think there's someone like the someone at the memorial is that he was walking towards was also at the party and the someone he was looking out the window, which like other people said. So it's probably someone in her grade, which she's a senior or junior because that's who goes to these calamity parties or whatever. I don't know. This is just like all assumptions. So Pip's parents during this Robbie and her looking through the pictures they're at the supermarket she still hasn't told them that she's investigating it's like a huge deal whatever she knows they're gonna see the missing posters by now and it's gonna be a problem so they're continuing to look through the photos and she found evidence of Jamie at the calamity party via two photos so like other people's photos he's in the background so there's evidence of Jamie walking through the party at 9 16 p.m maybe when he first arrived and then there's another photo of him looking out a bay window towards the left which i don't even know what that would mean but anyways at 9 38 and then she looks at a series of video clips from one of her classmates and it's like stories or whatever and there's one of the people playing beer pong and Kara's standing near the table and she's like cheering for whoever and then she sees Kara kind of like turn and look at this figure walking down the hallway that like is definitely Jamie and that's like what Kara described earlier it like confirms that Kara like kind of knew what was going on it's like a big thing but it's like we knew this already like I didn't doubt you chapter 13 so long story short long story way short they call Chris. He's the one that sent these beer pong videos or whatever and asked him about timestamp, whatever. He deleted the photos. Ah, it's a whole, it literally is a whole thing. But we find out that the video was taken at 9.56. So that's when the beer pong was happening. She wants to know which way he was walking and which way he was looking out the window. So her and Ravi find a floor plan of the house online, probably using Zillow. I don't know. And I can post a picture because they, po- they put one in the book. But they come to the conclusion that he's leaving the house at 9.56 and that he was looking out to the left of the bay, like out the bay window, which I don't know what that point towards. Whatever. Probably going to come back around. So they're trying to look at other pictures near the window in the fireplace at 9.38 to see who Jamie was looking at or potentially like fall to the party. So they're looking at like other other party photos. Nothing comes of it. Anyways, so here's where things get interesting. Ravi's looking through pictures of the memorial and he's like trying to find who Jamie could have been looking at in the crowd. And he's like zooming around trying to find photos. He finds someone in the crowd. He finds Max Hastings in the crowd. Da da da. So Ravi is like obviously super mad about this. He's like, he was not invited to this. Why is he here? And I got to look at his stupid face tomorrow at the trial. I don't want to do it. And 
Pip's like, you don't have to go or whatever. And Robbie's like, no, I'm going for you and myself and for Sal because if Sal knew Max was a monster, because if you remember, they were like besties, he would have been devastated. So, which like, I I don't want to victim blame. But like, I kind of feel like Sal might have known something was going on. But anyways, so this conversation is interrupted by Pip's parents coming home. And the mom's like, uh, we saw your posters. And Robbie's like, I'm out. He dips. He's like, uh, bye. Um, nice to see you, Pip's Mr. and Mrs. Pip's parents or whatever. I gotta go. Will you yell at her? Bye. And her parents are like, Pip? Question mark. Because they're all concerned. And we basically end this episode and this section with a picture of the floor plan of the Calamity Party. So, lingering questions slash theories. So, my theory is Jamie called the police at the Calamity Party to get out of whatever he was supposed to do. Because he mentions the police, and then we know the police broke up the party. And then a baby, I said, who's pregnant? Or is he referring to a high schooler as a baby since he is 24? Like, sorry, not sorry. But now I'm thinking it's like the eight-year-old thing or whatever. And then my final lingering question, is Jamie dead or alive? Like, what do you guys think? I have no idea at this point. I'm going to like kind of assume dead. Like, I don't know if we're going to get a full happy ending, but I would like to hear what you think. So in closing, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, which now I hopefully will have videos at the Jolly Reader Podcast. Subscribe so you get notifications for when new episodes are posted. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It helps other crewmates find this podcast. Please share all the things. Share, please, please, please share. (laughs) And if you like secondhand embarrassment, stay tuned for the outtakes, which I don't know will be true about the video. We'll see how my editing goes. And I will talk to you next time for part two of Good Girl, Bad Blood. Until we sail again, this has been the Jolly Reader. Bon voyage. Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Ahoy. Is this working or is it too loud? Because it was too loud before. Let's check. So here comes my my recycling truck. I'm sure we'll get to hear that in the background. So anyways, I had to, sorry, total side note that doesn't even matter. I had to wait like literally three minutes to start recording this because our test tornado siren was going off nonstop. Anyways, so, okay. And I'm going to pause right here because the recycling truck's right at my house. Probably drink my iced coffee while I do it. It's still going. Maybe I should wait for my neighbor. Can't wait to edit and I don't know what I'm doing. <clears throat> Pits, pips, blah, blah. And she just kind of like blows Pips off. off pips. Spread the word that Jamie's mip, missing. She's talking to the <coughs> COVID cough. <sighs> Joanne says that now it's probably. Oh, now. Not now. That's what my notes say. <coughs> COVID cough. It's like three weeks ago I had it and I can't get rid of this stupid cough. Why do I always forget Jamie's name? I don't know. Whatever. He sees that the phone's another truck, another recycling truck. We're going to take a pause. A good guy. Oh, nope. Not a good guy. I am Allie. And you are with me to my mom.